like these past few years look like life has been dealing us some, some heavy blows. We've been having storms. We're trying to get the church uh, rebuilt in Chalmette. We, we keep getting hit and hit and hit, but guess what? God gets us through the storms. And uh, we've had COVID. We're facing lawlessness in the land, rise of inflation. It looks like one thing after the other just keeps, keeps on coming. But thank God we're still here. God is still in our midst. God is still doing his work. And we've got to thank God that he, he is. You know, I've witnessed God do some probably over the past 50 years. It's been 50 years this year for me living the Christian life and trusting God for my life. I've witnessed God do some seemingly impossible things for me personally being healed of cancer, and I can go on and on. Seemingly impossible things I've seen God do in not only my life, my family, but the lives of others in the church over the years. Seemingly impossible things. And to see the church, you realize the church that we have today, is, it's 2,000 years old, it's still here, it, it has suffered all types of attacks over the centuries, persecution, opposition, from all kinds of attacks of Satan and the world. And the attacks are still coming. There's a fury of assaults on the church today. I'm telling you, I've seen this many years ago, uh, that our government, even our government, is turning against us. The very faith of people who, who created this country and who was led by God to come and start this country, which is the greatest country in the world, because they believe God, this is coming under attack also. But I see God's plan for the church revealed in the New Testament. In the start of the New Testament, beginning with John the Baptist, then the ministry of Jesus, then the ministry of the disciples, then the ministry of the early church, and even to this day. But I want to look at how the church was prophesied to come and what it would do. In, in Luke chapter 3, in verse 2, it says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. He went in all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth and all mankind will see God's salvation. Luke is quoting Isaiah the prophet concerning John the Baptist's ministry. And that is of preparing the way for the Lord. 
and, and that there would be many challenges in the process. The first thing, valleys would be filled in. Mountains and hills would have to come down. Crooked roads would become straight. Rough ways would have to be smoothed out. The ministry of the gospel was bringing to earth something that would reflect a powerful construction force. It's like a, a giant bulldozer is going to come through mankind and begin to level all the mountains, fill in all the valleys, straighten out all the crooked roads. It's going to take care of everything that's wrong here in the world. And it's not talking about dirt and concrete. It's talking about God's will for mankind. He's going to straighten it out. That seemingly impossible task would have to be done. John the Baptist faced it when he first started. Jesus faced them. The disciples faced them. The early church faced them. The church today is facing them. Every believer must also face them today. Jesus called these seemingly impossible tasks mountains. So I titled this message today, They Are Mountains. They, they, they're just there. And they're always there. And as believers, we've got to recognize we're going to face mountains in this life that seems to be impossible. How many has had them? Have you had any? It seems like it's impossible. Well, we've got to remember that the time the disciples spent with Jesus, it was a constant learning process. I, I read the scriptures and the disciples with Jesus three and a half years in a constant learning atmosphere. And as I read the scriptures and see the New Testament and the church being built and all the mistakes that they made, that I felt that they needed to spend a little more time with Jesus. That Jesus just cut them loose. But Jesus recognized that there would be on-the-job training that they would have to go through. And that reminded me of my days in the ministry. I was called into the ministry. I didn't go to Bible college I didn't have the formal training of ministry. I had to do it through correspondence. And then I became the associate pastor of Lakeview Christian Center. And it, I was only there one year, and God sent me out to pioneer a church. I didn't even have that much experience. But the experience I have over the past 42 years is on-the-job on the experience. And I, I think that's probably the best because uh, I've seen some young people come out of Bible college that didn't know the front door or the back door of the church. But God has a way of, of doing that. Believers are in a constant learning curve. We're in a learning curve in Christianity. I want to look at a couple of teaching moments with Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus took Three disciples, his, his inner three, if you recognize that. Peter, James, and John upon what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. 
He took them up to the top of the mountain, and right before them, he was transformed. They saw his glory. They saw his glory right in front of them, and then they also had the experience of seeing Moses and Elisha on each side of him. But when they came down from that mountain, from that high mountain experience, this is what happened in Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. It says, when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers severely. For what he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And a child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, see this mountain, this mountain, okay? Move from here to there and it will be moved and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus taught the same lesson at another time when he was on the way to the temple in Jerusalem, and it, it, which was the time he cleansed the temple, on his way there, he sees a fig tree. He goes up to it to see if it had any fruit on it, and it didn't. And he cursed the tree. Why did he do it? It was an object lesson. In fact, Jesus knew that it wasn't the time for figs on there. But he cursed it anyway. You got to look at this a little bit deeper. He cursed the tree because it didn't have fruit on it. And he knew it wasn't time for it to even have fruit. But he cursed it anyway. Because on the way back from the temple, this scene took place. In Mark eleven nineteen, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city in the morning. As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you curse has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain... Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So Jesus was teaching them faith to his disciples. The Lord revealed something to me earlier this morning as I was going through this message. It showed me, he showed me that Jesus spoke to this fig tree. He cursed it. But it didn't wither right away, did it? It was only when they came back 
that they saw that what Jesus cursed, that fig tree, then it was withered even from the roots. So, think about that. Why didn't he, when he cursed it, it could have just shriveled up right in front of them. But it didn't. So it's telling us that a lot of times when we speak to our mountains, they don't move right away. We want them to, right? I want to have faith enough that when I speak to it, it's going to go away. But it doesn't a lot of times. It doesn't go away. But I will tell you this, the mountain will move. It might not move as soon as you speak the word of faith to it, because this fig tree didn't die as soon as Jesus cursed it. But when they came back, it was, it was done. Yeah. It, it was dried up. Because Jesus knew that these disciples were going to face mountains. See, he called the fig tree mountain. He called the healing of the epileptic a mountain. So these obstacles in our way, in our life, are mountains. And the mountains that Jesus is talking about is the mountains that would advance the kingdom of God. So as believers, we know that to follow Jesus, there's going to be mountains. I know I've faced many of them in the past 50 years that we're going to have to face throughout our life. Now, some of these mountains are going to be big. Some of them are going to be hills. There'll be mountains and hills that are going to be. Anything that, that comes against us, that, that comes opposed to us for living for God or doing the work of God is a mountain. Now, anyone wanting to do something for God, you're going to be challenged. Anybody wants to live for God, you're going to be opposed. It's the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament, even as we speak. I want to look at one of the many mountains recorded in the Old Testament. And, and there is one in the book of Zechariah, the prophet. When the Israelites were captured by the Babylonians, they were taken from their land and brought to Babylon. They stayed there for almost 50 years until the Babylonians were taken over and captured by the Persians. The Persians took them. They had a new king. That king wanted to send 50,000 Israelites back to their own country. And he appointed an Israelite to be a governor over them. His name was Zerubbabel. To settle them back into their country, let them go build their homes, and to rebuild the temple of God. There was a tremendous undertaking. It took them a year to build their houses. And once they got their houses finished, they started to rebuild the temple of God. Now, everything was okay building their houses. It's only when you try to do something for God now that the opposition is going to come. It's when they started building the temple, say, doing something for God. See, the devil will let you go your own way. You, you'll be fine. It's only when you decide you want to do something for God, that's when he's going to show up. When you decide you're going to live holy, that's when he's going to show up. When you decide you're going to live your life for Jesus 100%, that's when he's going to show up. 
So they started to rebuild the temple of God. Rebuilding the temple came with opposition and many obstacles, just like it was when we tried to get this work started. We faced obstacle after obstacle. Same thing uh, Pastor Chris is facing in Chalmette. It looked like it's one, one obstacle, one mounting after the other. And I'll tell you, uh, Pastor Chris, this mountain's going to move too. It's going to move too. Hallelujah. At uh, the prophet uh, Zechariah and the prophet Haggai ministered to the people during this time. Thank God they had two prophets speaking to them. Not just one, two prophets speaking to them. So they had two prophets ministering to them during this time. Zechariah, like some of the other prophets, had many visions. And he is known as the prophet of the long vision. Not only he was prophesying then, but he was even prophesying into the future about the coming of the Messiah in the Messiah's ministry. He, he had the whole picture going on. So his whole book covered the coming of the Messiah in his ministry. But he had one vision concerning Zerubbabel's struggle with building the temple, which was God's will for the people. Now, anytime we try to do something that is God's will, we're going to meet opposition. And this is what was Zechariah's vision. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. It said, The angel who talked with me returned and awakened me as a man is awakened from his sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right in, of the bowl and one on the left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He answered, You do not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Because before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. The word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel had laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord called this challenge Zerubbabel had in building the temple a mighty mountain. See, every, every obstacle that comes our way from the devil to try to hinder us from doing anything for the Lord, it's a mountain. Jesus called a mountain. He called that, that healing of that boy with epileptic a mountain. He called... Uh, cursing the fig tree, a mountain. All the obstacles that come our way, Jesus labeled as mountains, but he said it's coming down. Just like the challenges in our own life. The Lord revealed how seemingly impossible mountains will move. They'll move. He said to Zerubbabel, 
This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. There are three things concerning the mountains in our life. Number one, they're not going to move by human might or force. They, they, they don't move that way. I, I'm like most of you, especially us men, we want to take care of business, right? You're going to move it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to use my strength, the best of my ability, with my own power. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to move it. I'm going to take this thing down. I got enough wisdom. I got enough understanding. I'm going to move this thing. I I can even do some scheming but without success. When God speaks of mountains, he's speaking of obstacles and forces that are permitting his will to be done in our lives. But not obstacles that confront our own will and our own purpose and our own desires. He's talking about things that are going keeping us from performing God's will in our life. That's the ones that's going to take supernatural power to move. Mountains, Jesus is speaking about, is the power and the stronghold of the enemy. The enemy is Satan. He's against God's will for our lives, for his church, for everything that's going to bring him glory. He is going to try to put up a stronghold or or some type of device. Our enemy, Satan, is in another dimension. That's why the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood. We're fighting against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. So these things, these mountains that Jesus is talking about, the root of them is in another dimension. That's why Jesus told his disciples, this kind, this mountain, is only going to come out by prayer and fasting. In other words, somehow you've got to get in another dimension. See, we're talking about spirituality here. Everything that comes against us is rooted in another dimension. So the root of this mountain is in that dimension that we have to go after. That's why our might and our power is useless against it because it's not in this dimension. It's in another dimension. It's rooted in the supernatural. And for this mountain to move, it's going to take supernatural power. That's what was told Zerubbabel. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's why God put... His spirit in us so we can live the life and do his will. It's not by our strength. It's not going to be by religion. It's not going to be by any of that stuff. But it's going to be by his spirit in us. Somehow we need to connect to the supernatural if you're going to move mountains. Like Jesus instructed his disciples. However, this kind It's not going to go out except by prayer and fasting. 
when we see those mountains that seems to be impossible to move, we got to get out of the natural. we got to get into another dimension. But how does it happen? Well, first of all, Zerubbabel got the word of God spoken to him by the prophet Zechariah. We've got to avail ourselves to the word of God. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. You got to be taught it. You got to be preached it. You have to have a constant diet of the Word of God because God speaks to us through His Word. The Word of God is living, it's powerful, it's going to move things. The Word of God. So now it was up to Zerubbabel to believe the Word he received, the same thing with us. Listen, God speaks. Listen to me, he speaks. The problem is we don't take time to listen. I just had an issue with uh, my Traverse, my car that I have out there. And uh, I was coming back from Alabama and the transmission started shimmying. I said, oh no, I hope I can make it back. I did. And, and I had a 100,000-mile warranty on the powertrain, and I think I was running 99,450. I got it back before it went out of warranty, and thank God they, the, the dealership fixed it. But I was saying, you know, the transmission go, I think I got to get rid of this car, right? You see? You realize if I had to pay for that transmission, it would have been like four or five grand. So I think I got to get rid of this thing. And it cost five years old. I said, I got to get rid of it. So I started saying, well, I'm going to sell my truck. I'm trade this in. I'm going to have to buy a. I, it, my wife can tell you, I was, I, was, I, was, I was like I was in another world. I was trying to figure out how all this was going to happen, where I was going to get the money. How is it, how is it going to work until one morning after fasting and praying the Lord says you don't have to do anything the car's fixed it's paid for <laughs> your truck's paid for although it's 17 years old it's paid for don't worry about anything see you gotta get a word from the Lord in your life See, it's going to come when we need it. You see, Zechariah had a word for him, and the prophet Haggai had a word for him. These prophets are speaking to him. We need to hear from the word of God. This is what the, what the word Haggai had for him. It says, this is what, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 5, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desire of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. 
The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Listen, we keep building houses. The, 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 the church in Chalmette, how many houses have we built over there? Let's see. When I first got there, we, we built a building. Katrina destroyed that. We built another building. I, I, Ida hit that. We got it back together. Another storm hit. We got to rebuild it again. But it looks like every time the Lord allows us to rebuild it, it's going to be greater than it was before. He said, he said this present house is going to be greater than the former house. So we got to keep looking at God moving these mountains out of our way because something better is coming. So Zerubbabel got the word from the Lord. Okay? But we must speak to the mountain. Now, so how do you do that? Well, we do it like God did it. First of all, let me say Zerubbabel was a type of Christ because he was laying the foundation of the temple. Just like, which represents the church. He was laying the foundation. The church, Jesus laid the foundation of the church. This is what God says to Zerubbabel's mountain. Getting tongue-tied with Zerubbabel's mountain. And in verse 7, he says, What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. In other words, you're going to cease to exist. This mountain is going to, it's going to cease to exist. And, and the King James Version says, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. The Message Bible says it like this in today's vocabulary. It says, so big mountain, who do you think you are? Next to Zerubbabel, you're nothing but a molehill. Now, if Zerubbabel is a type of Christ, then let's substitute Zerubbabel's name with Jesus. And it would read like this. So big mountain, who do you think you are? Next to Jesus, you're nothing but a molehill. See, when the disciples couldn't cast the demon out of the young boy, they were asked why. This is the answer Jesus gave him, because you have so little faith. I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. We have to speak God's word to that mountain that is in our life. See, when mountains are moved, God gets the glory. We, it, it ain't about us, how much faith we had. Jesus said, all you need is this much faith. You don't need great faith. You need this much faith, and the mountain can move, and that will give God the glory because these mountains try to stop us 
from completing the will of God in our life. The Lord is the mountain mover. And he moves it by his spirit. Okay? Listen to the message of the Lord spoken by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 51, verse 25. Jeremiah, the Lord says, I am against you, O destroying mountain. You who destroy the whole earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against you. He's talking to the devil. Roll you off the cliffs and make you a burned out mountain. Now this is the same promise in the New Testament. Valleys filled in. Mountains and hills made low. Crooked roads become straight. Rough ways made smooth. Sometimes mountains move and the ground got so smooth in my life that it actually scared me because I knew that it was nothing but the power of God doing it. It's scary. You get in the presence of God's power moving, you know it's not you. It's scary to see God move so mightily in your midst and on your behalf. He's doing it for you. On your behalf. See, for the past 50 years, I've witnessed all of that in my own life. So what are we to really believe? i tell you what you need to believe. What God starts, he's going to finish it. I don't care how you're struggling in your Christian life. If God saved you, he didn't save you to fail. He didn't save you to, to buckle up under the, uh, under the pressure and the, and, the, and the troubles that come in your way. Are you going to keep going? Or are you going to let this mountain just stand in the way? Zechariah 4, 8, 9 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me and said, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Rebuilding the temple was God's will. We have to rebuild the church building in Shalmet for the third time. Building up this church is God's will. Souls are going to be saved. God's will is going to be done. Discipling people to do the work of God. Zerubbabel was appointed by God to rebuild the temple. So no mountain is going to stop it. No mountain is going to stop it. And it's the same with this church, with this ministry. It's the same with each and every one of us who will exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Mountains are going to be there. But what do, how do we look at them? Look at them. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Paul said in, in chapter 5, verse 24, no, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God didn't save you by accident. You come to know him, it was because he called you. 
And that means if we give ourselves to the Lord wholeheartedly, desire nothing but his will to be done in your life, then he will be faithful to remove every mountain. They're coming down. That's what the whole gospel is all about. It's about leveling mountains. It's about filling in valleys. It's about making crooked roads straight. It's doing all of that. All of that. But we're going to have to exercise faith and believe. It will not be by might nor by power, but by his spirit. That we can speak to a mountain according to his word. But the greatest mountain that could ever be moved in our life is the sin mountain. The sin mountain is the greatest because religion doesn't move it. Good works don't move it. No sacrifice, no money you can give can move it. It's only going to be by the Spirit of God that you're saved, that he touches our life. So think about this. If there is no greater mountain than the sin mountain, and God moved that, then any other mountain in our life is nothing. It's nothing but a molehill. The greatest mountain that ever be moved in your life is when God took that sin mountain and wiped it away, leveled it out, and it's gone. So if that's the case, if he did that, then we got to believe him for every other mountain. They coming down also. The Lord Jesus Christ is the mountain destroyer. He's the mountain mover. Stand with me. Hallelujah. That's good preaching. 